I have seen powerful, competent, badass, ass-kicking, uh, corporate, community, social leader women who, when it comes down to their sexuality and desire, cannot identify what would please them, much less speak it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Fuck Yeah, where we say fuck yeah to the shadow side of sexuality. I'm your host, Robin, here with my uh, interminable, <laughs> I, I don't know what that word means, co-host, Sarah. How are you, Sarah? <laughs> that was just a word that came to mind. Uh, yeah. Oh, wait, do you know what it means? Um, endless. Endless. <laughs> I never stop. Sarah. Never do. Oh, I'm my so gosh. glad you have it. Uh, Hi, Sarah. I'm good. How are you? Good. You have any fuck yeahs this week? I have a good one. And it's kind of, I don't know, maybe a little in in line, aligned with our Midori interview. Is it interminable? It's interminable. (laughs) It's endless. The story will go on forever. We won't even get to our interview. No, um, I I don't make bets. I, it's a control issue. We've been to Vegas together. Have I not? Oh, okay. Yeah, I know I gamble, but like, (laughs) (laughs) I definitely gamble, but with friends, like, oh, I'll bet you, blah, 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 whatever. And, and, um, we were playing cards with my neighbors, Andrea, my girlfriend, and I, and the neighbors, and a song came on, and I insisted that it was uh, Scissor Sisters. Uh It absolutely was not. And, and Andrea was like, oh, do you want to bet? There's another, there's a folk band that has like, I don't know, Sinister Sisters. I can't remember the name of the folk band, but I was hell bent that this was Scissor Sisters was the name of the band. What, when you're right, you're fucking right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she was just like, oh, we'll see, we'll see. And she's like, I'll bet you 20 bucks. I'm like, we're not betting $20. We're not betting money. Let's bet sexual favors. Okay. First of all, this is like a big step for me. This is like my first adult life bet. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So So there's so many, there's so many things happening. Right. And I'm like, Oh, it means I trust you so much. I'm willing to bet, you know, like I was like, that's cute in, in my insides. I thought you were certain you were right. I was certain I was right. And she was certain she was right. And I was absolutely not right. (laughs) I love it. I I was not right at all. And my neighbor knew it too. And she like was stone cold, like just neutral, really, really good job. Like Like a good neighbor. She gave a good good solid to Andrea. And so then when, you know, we looked it up and Scissor Sisters is the really fun dance band, like really like not this folk band that I (laughs) sustained with. Oh, it was so good. And she's like two words, ball gag. (gasps) What? That was, that was what I had to that was my. You had to wear a ball gag. Yes, Did and you do it. And for like an an undetermined amount of time, like she had to be able to say when it could come off. And so this has been a whole. And I didn't even realize that this was such a fantasy for her that she loves. That's and so we don't really play with ball gags a whole lot because I have TMJ. Right. That's why I don't do it. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, if this is a thing that you want, like we just need to get a smaller ball gag, babe. <laughs> like. I will do. I will do this for you, babe. You don't have to win this. Yeah, but you it was it. so fun. Like such a fun bet, right? Yeah. 
And so I delivered on the bet, but I did, I went above and beyond because I was like, well, you got to buy me a smaller ball gag and then sure I'll wear it for however long you want. But I had a little bit of extra time and I was over by stockroom. So I popped in Uh and I bought a new gag. And when she, it's, it's black, it's a bit, it's a silicone, black on black, black on black, but it's the silicone is really nice. Cause you can bite into it. Like it was very comfortable, a little bit of discomfort the next day. Cause I did end up wearing it for a very long time, <laughs> but I got to pay your debt. Yes, I did. I did the full thing. She got home from work. I was wearing a fishnet crotchless bodysuit, yes. had the ball gag on, had my fuck me heels and <laughs> Robin, the smile on her face, it was a shit eating grin that did not go away for so like she just had to keep stopping throughout play just to like she was just it was great. I love it. It's good to be wrong. It was so it was a win win for everybody. It was so fun. I felt like that reignite, you know, it was just it was delightful. That's so that's that's my book. So, hey, I cannot believe that we got Midori. Midori is a superstar in my mind. Yes. She's just like our icon. Mm -hmm. I mean, really and truly. You know, for anyone who doesn't know Midori, she is the author of a number of books, The Seductive Art of Japanese Bondage, which I think is like a now just part of the canon. Like you've got to. It's the bondage Bible. Dan Savage calls her the supernova mm-hmm. of kink, which is so Accurate. true. And currently she's the co-director of curriculum for kink informed certification, um, part of the sexual health Alliance. So she just does, she does a lot. She's been honored by, uh, with a sainthood by the sisters of perpetual <laughs> indulgence. What an honor. I know. But Midori is uh, just interminable. <laughs> interminable. And I, you know, that's what it's so exciting to talk with her and so inspiring because um, it is kind of like, I think what both of us are trying to achieve in our lives also. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's all of this, the art, the instruction, it all comes out of an authentic desire to uh, interact with people in a truthful, playful way that um, that can benefit all of us. And it, it just it feels like a mission, like she has a calling. She's going after it. She absolutely has a calling and she is in this incredible reciprocal relationship, it seems like now, especially with what she's doing with her art, where she gives so much permission Mm -hmm. to folks to really explore their whole selves. Yeah. And she also gets, I I think she, it's a give get. Yeah. And I mean, even just her, when we reached out for the interview and it's like, She's like, of course, it's just a generosity of spirit that is, uh, gosh, could we say more wonderful things about Midori? Uh, Let's let her share her story with you. (laughs) Uh, Ladies and gentlemen and gender queers, Midori. Midori, we are so excited to have you here. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me sincerely doubt you remember this, but you and I have interacted before in one of your classes. It was uh, at the pleasure chest. It was a blowjob class. And you, I talked you off 
Yes, you did. <laughs> I'd already sucked my dick. It was a very special experience because you asked for a volunteer. I, of course, my hand always goes up and, um, and you seductively crawled towards me to try to, and it was a revelation. I teach a lot of blowjob classes. That's like my favorite one. And I was like, of course, the pomp, the circumstance, the, um, the allure and the seduction is all such a big part of it. So I really appreciate that. It's really a, um, a highlight in, in my life. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> yeah, I see a button. Midori sucked me off. Yeah. <laughs> Are you still t- teaching blowjob classes? Well, you know, I haven't in a couple of years. Well, for- I mean, that aside. I had a blowjob class scheduled when LA shut down. Like I remember calling the pleasure chest and being like, um, this doesn't seem like a good idea. And then there was a shutdown. Yeah. So that was the last time I was scheduled for it. I'd love to jump back in. I feel like I've learned things in the last two years that I'd like to impart on people, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's not, the performative classes aren't as easy to do online. I feel like yeah. while we're fangirling, <laughs> I have to just, I have to take a moment too to do my fangirl because I, in my classes now, I give acknowledgments to all of the teachers that have mm. influenced that particular topic for me. And every single class I teach, I have to do a Midori shout out because back in the days when I was working at Babeland, you know, we were offering classes every single week. I got to see all those classes every single time you came through LA, mm. we had you come. So I've seen almost all of your classes and I just tell people that if you really want to know how to do it right, you have to go to a Midori class because you integrate in excellent information, but the performative element as well. And the class for me that I was like, oh, goodness, I, I, I'm feeling things on my inside <laughs> is your oral sex class or oral seduction. Uh-huh. So not oral Oral and oh. you with an A. Yes. Mm. You seduce that class just it, I mean, it's unbelievable. I was like, wow, I don't know if I have that level of performance mm. in me. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, I I love that class. Yes. The power of the voice, right? So we want to do our rapid fire questions okay. with you. Warm you up. Yeah, warm you up. Although, well, we know how important a warm up is, right? One of the things. So um, what was the last podcast you listened to? Uh, Hidden Brain. I was just <laughs> listening to it this morning about um, how not to be affected by uncivil- incivility and rudeness. Oh, Ooh, oh nice. I, like I need to listen to that. And Shankar's voice. <laughs> Speaking of voice. Um, what is the last photo on your phone? Last photo. Oh, let's see. What is it? Kitty. Aww. I was going to say, I really hope it's a cat photo. Little. Look at those Toby. Yeah. Little paws. I mean, oh, that's my boy, Jack. I love it. Oh, my gosh. I love that we've already hit on your nerdiness and your love of cats. This yeah. is great. This it's is great. the point of the rapid fire. Um, I'm excited to hear the answer to this one. Who was your first celebrity crush? Uh, does the T-Rex at the National uh, at the <laughs> wow. Museum count? Did you have sexual feelings about a T-Rex? Well, I, I was like, I was like single digit. 
uh-huh. like tiny. And I just remember standing at the base of of the full skeleton, right? And uh-huh. looking up and just feeling awe. Wow. And yeah. attraction. And I suppose it was a pre-sexual thing, but just awe. The, the power. And somehow I thought that it was, I don't know if it was on the, I decided it, if it was on the placard that this was a, a female mm-hmm. T-Rex, but just like the massiveness. And here's this tiny little human going, mm-hmm. I like you. Yeah, that's so fascinating because it's really about power, right? Mm-hmm. And presence. Mm-hmm. So fascinating. Um, and fast forward now, you yeah. are, you've made a career out of helping femmes find their power. Yeah. You are that T-Rex. Yes, you are. (laughs) With your little arms. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, apparently T-Rex swam. What? How? That their their bones uh, and the bones and their structure. See, this is my nerdiness, right? Yeah. Apparently were similar to birds had a lot of air pockets, which Mm. may indicate in many of the, the, um, the swamps had had uh, scrapes on the bottom to indicate that they were swimming. <sighs> Interesting. I Feathered and swimming and probably purple or something. Right. <laughs> what was your first mode of masturbation? First mode of masturbation. Uh, the, the water jet from, it was in Japan. So we had uh, the way that the bathtubs were, you don't pour the water in, the water's in there and then it's heated with mm. the circulator. And so there was a little water jet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nine. It wasn't a Japanese tub, but same for me. Water. Yeah. 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 I think that's a really common experience. I love that's it. amazing. But then it's great where we get to have privacy, right? Yes. It's a private space. And uh, yeah, people don't bother you in there. You, I don't imagine that you've done your Forte Femme three-day weekend intensive with everything that's happened uh, globally with this pandemic that we've been dealing with. This, I feel like pre-pandemic was such a coveted experience and something that you really tend to in terms of that community. You continue to engage with them. You take them out and you know give them really unique experiences. It is, I'm gonna read from your site. Forte Femme is a three-day femme dominance intensive focused on helping femmes unleash their power from the bedroom to the boardroom. And I'm just curious what femme dominance means to you personally Mm -hmm. and like how did that relationship with your own erotic power crystallize into this offering that is so, I've, I feel like it's so essentially you. Yeah, Fort FM Women's Dominance Weekend Intensive. You're right, I have not been able to teach it for the last uh, two and a half years. I'm choosing not to. Uh, my last one was in New York and it was supposed to start on mm. March 13th. Mm. We canceled it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. We funded everyone. But Fort FM is not dead. It will return. It will return when all of my team members feel safe about doing this and when we find the right venue because COVID's made some of my favorite venues go away. Yeah. Anyhow, so it will be back and I have a wait list going on. So anyone who's interested, please know that it's going to be offered to the wait list first before it's, it goes public. 
uh, and I cannot commit to a date yet because I'm being very sensible. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's see. I call it feminine dominance, not female dominance. And that's really important. Right. Uh, the course is is for, I'm trying to find a better phrasing on this, and I'm talking to other educators on this, but it's people. Who, it's for people who deal daily with the bullshit of misogyny. Mm -hmm. So that can encompass a lot of gender identification. Right. Uh, so it's not, hit, uh, it's not cis male, but there's a lot of fluidity there. But I do ask that as people who experience and navigate and live through misogyny and its direct effect on them on a daily basis. I know it's a long phrasing. Yeah, I know. How do you like the crystallizing that into the like easily understood phrase? That's going right. to be cracking the code there. But right. I love that. Yeah. No, it's feminine in that. Um, and it does not. Feminine is defined by the individuals. And that is also part of the exercise. Why do I not define it? Because it's not my scene. It's not my life. It's not my play. It's mm -hmm. my job to, to guide questions, to, to allow people to bring up their own truths and to ask good questions of themselves when I'm not there. So I, I do run it kind of like the joke is I'm like a drill sergeant in high heels. In fact, one of my mm -hmm. graduates gave me a drill sergeant hat. Nice. Uh, I am tough. I am tough on the attendees because these are all grown-ass human beings. Mm -hmm. There is no reason for me to coddle them. They are there to be challenged. So what is feminine dominance for me? So we've talked about the, the feminine, the gender part. Uh, and people who live in and are impacted and oppressed by misogyny have had to deal with that, but also have internalized yeah. toxic or not helpful information. I mean, you deal with that in the blowjob class all the time, right? Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. um, and especially for people who um, raised as or assigned female birth, there's a lot of disempowerment yes. that happens as part of being a good girl. Right. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I have seen powerful, competent, badass ass-kicking uh, corporate community social leader women who when it comes down to their sexuality and desire cannot identify what would please them much less speak it end up um, performing right to some shabby social performance mm -hmm. gender performance and it's usually not their mate's fault either because their mate may be just as uh, poorly taught, affected, influenced. So you've got two people who are trying to do their best uh, performing dysfunctional information mm -hmm. and never actually asking the question of where is the overlap of our darker desires? Mm -hmm. There's also a component about embracing the multitude and the complexity of ourselves, including our shadows. Yes. So that's, that's a huge part of it. So that, that's the part that carries into everyday life. Specifically around kink, I do a lot of myth busting. Because there's a lot of not helpful information out there. Yeah. So I break it on down. I take it out of identity and into appetites. Because, mm. for example, 
Okay. I, I'll ask the classroom about, hey, folks, you know, what do you think I identify as? Say dominant, switch, whatever. And I wait, I wait, I wait. And I say, nope. I identify as Midori. Mm-hmm. My appetites are varied. And if I'm in the mood and I like you and our interests match, I might have appetites of dominance. Yeah. An appetite of dominance. I, love, I that. love that. You know, I think Robin and I have been in conversation for a long time now around this, you know, the old fantasies, are they serving us yeah. anymore? Because, you know, being socialized female, and then for me being really strongly rooted in my femme identity, I just was constantly pigeonholed into these submissive roles, which I can perform exceptionally well. And there is something really fun about that performance for me, but it's because I've been conditioned to engage in that way. And so when I got divorced, it was this like, just everything cracked open of like, well, I get to do whatever the fuck I want now. Mm. And that was really for me, the moment of, okay, I have to start exploring some of this dominant nature that is my true nature also in my sexuality. And it's so funny. I mean, I had been teaching sex ed for over 10 years at that point. And it, even for me, like opening that world up was there were so many roadblocks. So it's the culture influences us on such a deep level. I enjoyed that phase. You wore a lot of black. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> she's coming out dark. Yeah. Um, and then I have like a thing of like being a kind of like, I, I don't know if my androgyny comes from a reaction to misogyny or if it is truly like how I feel. And then I, I, I did this thing of um, especially in my 20s, you know, I was a dominatrix in my 20s partly as a like, I think, conscious way to try to get out of this um, misogyny culture. And but at the same time in the bedroom, I my fantasies were largely about forced sex and um, and manipulation and things like that. And as I'm getting older, I'm like, oh, like, where does all of that come from? How much is it me and how much is it this patriarchy placed on top of me and do I want that in my bedroom and like all this stuff and I'm just trying to like peel away the layers now of my own um sexuality and how it's been affected by this culture that we're in and I feel like a lot of what I've done and what you're doing also and what Sarah's done is like finding our true like authentic selves how do we how do we uncover that and how do we then express and lead our true truthful lives, you know? Yeah. And that, that's a hard one. And, you know, you can't take just one two hour class or read a book or for that matter, a three day course, but by fostering mutual support. And I think that's what the, the three day intensive along with the skill and the philosophy and all that is meeting other people who share experience. And just in our conversation here, supporting one another around leaving some things behind and asking questions it's it's a lifelong process to to examine our conditioning yeah and avert it and flip the script and make it uh reflect ourselves truly yes 
hundred percent. You know, and um, at the same time that I was doming in my twenties, I was at art school, and I remember having a conversation with the teacher, a uh, 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 woman who I really ex- respected, and I mentioned that I was a dominatrix, and she said to me, "You're a dominatrix." I always thought of you as a feminist and, um, and it rattled me and I still (laughs) glitched. (laughs) And, um, I just, I wanted to, because there is, and I understand like there is a level of like when I was doming that you are, um, catering to a, uh, often male uh sensibility and uh what they what they want out of that situation to catering to their sexuality and but at the same time I felt like it had so much to do with my sexuality and figuring out how I could be a powerful woman yeah um and I don't know I, I'm interested to know what you think about that I am I am sorry that you had that experience <laughs> and I am even more sad for her oh you know, because she's living from kind of a second wave feminist perspective, right? She was definitely a second wave. Oh, God. yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh. What wave are we on now? Can we be on? I don't know. I, I don't think there are waves anymore, no. right? Like we've lost all. There's and, no. Yeah. There's no boxes. <laughs> the thing is, like second wave and third wave overlapped. Yeah. And sometimes the I find second wave feminism to be based on. Fear and defensiveness as yes. opposed to self-actualization. Which yes. is, which is, is so gatekeepy. Yeah. But it's reasonable at that time because right. we had a lot to defend. You know, not that we don't now, but now I do feel like, yeah, I understand what you're saying with that. And however, she, this particular individual, I mean, she's an art school professor. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just not like a seminary nun. <laughs> I would expect that from her, that, but actually, nuns might be more understanding. I've actually had great conversations with an elderly Carmelite nun who was like the coolest. <laughs> um, they understand corporal punishment, uh, and they understand Mary right. Magdalene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. right? yeah, yeah, and the redemption. Um, yeah. But uh, first of all, very judgy and very defensive on on her part, and didn't come at it out of curiosity. So okay. is the judgment around the activities with clients, is judgment around sex work, is judgment around what? Um, so she flipped it back and in, she could have asked it in the question of, huh, that's not what I expected out of you. Tell me more about that. Right. And to approach it from there. So I'm sad for her. Um the the argument about say you know this is performing to to uh patriarchal expectation how is that different from uh say janitorial work right or or uh data administration or uh administrative assistant aka secretary aka housekeeper uh professional childcare aka nanny they're right. all gendered and have been gendered and have the same sort of oppressive expectations, but you throw in sex into it. And right. Like, um, the why matters in terms of the occupation. Right. Are you doing an occupation because you were forced to? Are you doing this out of 
it suits you and makes you happy. Uh, or the outfits. Yeah. <laughs> or the outfits. Or, or exploration. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so the type of occupation is not the problem. The why doing the occupation is the problem. Lord knows in Fort FM, I've met several lawyers who feel exploited and unhappy. Yeah. You know, I, okay, Mandora, you just like took something that I've been thinking about for 20 years and dismantled it in a way that just feels like it's off of me now. Because that's you. Thank you. You hit on it because it is the sex angle that made her say that. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily that I'm participating in a, in a, uh, oppress a female oppressive job. And if you're a lean in Apple executive, yeah. you're still within the patriarchal structure having to carve your way out or imitate men or whatever it is in order to exist in that space. And it doesn't matter if it's a sex job or if not. If you were working as a home health care aide. Right. I doubt she would have said that. Right. And yeah. yet, what's the likelihood of wage theft uh, sexism, sexual violence at the workplace, and labor exploitation. <laughs> well, and it's also, you know, because I think that like a question I had for, for you was just like this relationship between kink and feminism. And I think that, you know, in what you just said, it's also, there's the answer right there is that for some people, kink is going to be an inherently feminist mm -hmm. practice for them. And for others, it's not, not at all, yeah. right? It's the why. Yeah, yeah, it's the why. I mean, also to think of kink as if it's sports and sex are the two last remaining frontiers mm. of bearing our teeth, mm. of being permitted to, to take our civilized veneer off and leave it on the sideline or leave it at the door. And it's the place where we can bare our teeth, we can be, be in all range of emotion within that container. And present and in your body. Right. Yeah. Present in body. Uh, I mean, looking at a bat, ice hockey, terrifying, <laughs> <laughs> you know, basketball shit talking. Yeah. I mean, that's playing with power and dominance. Yes, yes. And these are people who I assume like each other, colleagues, co-workers. They go out for drinks, babysit each other's kids or whatever. And they're like, your mama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so sex and, and uh, sports and in sexuality and kink specifically, allows for delving into the shadow fantasies and the darker side of ourselves that may not be uh, that polite to unleash upon or healthy to unleash upon unsuspecting others. Mm -hmm. So like my definition of BDSM, which I think you all have. Yeah, give it. Yeah, give it to us though. Childhood joyous play with adult sexual privilege or adult privilege and cool toys. Mm -hmm. Or the cops and robbers with fucking. Mm -hmm. Fucking loosely. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, so children play with all manners of shadow. It's not always about nice and pretty. When uh, a simple game of tag mm -hmm. or a treehouse club or any video games that kids play, which I don't know, are playing with um, 
power and uh, situations. It's not only a way to to socialize, but it's also a way to to develop the personhood and situational awareness and intelligence. But it's also fun because it allows us to be complex. When um, if a kid wants to play an evil genius, mm-hmm. or uh, yeah, evil genius, or a princess to be rescued. I mean, what are we playing with here? Right. Right. And oh, even Simon Says. Yes. Uh-huh. Simon Says is a DS game. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It should yeah. be Mistress Says. Um, okay. Some folks know you pretty exclusively from your uh, sex ed work, traveling the world, teaching from kink, from your books. And some folks might not know what a amazing art practice you have. And with COVID, you know, making the move onto Patreon and having to, you know, really shift gears like we all did, you were able to really focus on your art practice. And I am hoping that you could share a little bit about that and, you know, maybe, um, just what you've been up to the last couple of years, but also what this time has meant to you. Yeah. Um, I realized as the pandemic hit, I, I had a moment of what am I going to do now? I've been touring nonstop for 20 years. Wow. Yeah. And now I had already set up my, and set up my Patreon as a way to try to give more attention to my art. And in the, in that time, in all the touring, Time and effort, as well as uh, colleague connections, really suffered. Because how am I supposed to be applying for shows or creating things or working uh, in collaborative collectives when I'm on the road all the time? Mm -hmm. So it suffered, and I would try, but it definitely was not at a pace I wanted. But I also love my teaching job. Right. Yeah. So pandemic happened. I've got my Patreon and I looked at what I did, which is, yeah, okay, there's the skill based classes, but it's always based in psychology and uh, psychology, emotion, and the human factor. I mean, rope bondage isn't about tying knots. Actually, the knots don't, uh, the rope doesn't matter. It's about people. Right. Mm -hmm. So people tend to think, oh, it's all about the knots. Oh, no, 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 no. The rope's just a tool. So it's about creativity, right? And as I had to come to a screeching halt, there were already things that I was doing that could come to the forefront. One of them, actually, there's a little book here. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm very proud of being part of this. I I am now a co-director of of a curriculum for kink informed certification. So I am part of the team training and teaching therapists, counselors, and other helping professionals on being more kink savvy. Amazing. So getting to write things like this is a book, The Intersectional Approach to Sex Therapy, Centering on the Lives of Black, Indigenous, Racialized, and People of Color. Mm-hmm. So I got to write in there uh, as somebody who's in the trenches of BDSM and women of the Asian diaspora. Mm -hmm. I would not have been able to have the time to work on that closely with the editor. 
in terms of my art practice, I am applying to all sorts of residencies and grants and really getting comfortable with rejection. (laughs) (laughs) But along the way, I'm also, along with the stacks of rejections, I have been able to do very large pieces of work or got commissioned by the Leslie Lohman Museum of Gay Lesbian Art to create this huge structure. And speaking of sex work, it looks like this big netted um, tube room Mm -hmm. that's woven in with memory, totemic memory objects from current and past queer sex workers. Mm, Amazing. Uh, I just installed a, a, oh, there was this, the project that in the pines, I took two rooms and created this, this, webbing and now some people who only know me from the kink side are like oh is that a rope bondage room i'm like no actually it's about making visible the lines of human connection time mm. and history yeah uh, just so using think, rope as your tool yeah 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 and being able to joining in with uh collectives and finding more colleagues that i collaborate with i love the collaborative aspect yeah so the the Patreon has actually been really satisfying because I'm finding people who are interested in, in the fullness of me, which is the teaching as well as the creating and people who want to be part of that. That's been exciting. I love how, um, no matter what the circumstances you're able to create community and find mm-hmm. a genuine connection with people. It's like, it seems like in all of this, you're searching for that like true connection to people so that they can be their truest selves as well. I love that. Thank you. And I, it sometimes feels really surprising because I am what I would call a high-functioning introvert. Uh, <laughs> I get kind of anxious if I'm in a crowded place without a job. Mm. So, you know, if I'm at a party and I'm just like, yeah, standing with your drink. <laughs> but if I'm at a party and I'm entertaining or I'm yeah. teaching or I'm, I'm, hell, I, you know, I'm the door person, right? I have a job. Uh, and it's so funny. I feel the same way. Yeah. If I'm performing I too. or if I, if I'm performing great, but if I'm like, I would rather be a bartender than just show up at a party because then I can stand and do something and talk to everybody and, you know, or yeah. like put me on the stage. Give me yeah, something give to a do. vehicle for interaction. Yeah. Why am I here? <laughs> you know, at parties, whether it's kink parties or vanilla parties or whatever, what I love being is the wing woman. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. So if I go to, I just went to an art event, actually, uh, um, a sexual storytelling event called Body Storytelling. And I went with an author and philosopher friend of mine. And we would run into people. I'm like, oh, you know, meet Caveat, amazing philosopher. And then then he would be like, oh, meet Midori. She's got it. And so we would do that. But if we go to, if I go to something like uh, Dark Odyssey, a big outdoor sex event, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I am so proud of, it's it's often called being thrown under Auntie Midori bus. if I know the action that you want to get, I will You're be the matchmaker. Yeah. Well, not exactly matchmaker. I'll just open my big mouth and say the things that you're too shy to say. Like, <laughs> That's great. oh, hey, hey, you, didn't you just say that you wanted to get tied up? Oh, hey, hi, meet her. Okay. 
And there was this one friend of mine from Japan who uh, came over and uh, she was she was very much single and wanting some action. But and beautiful woman. So I arrived early and then I went to all, and, and she's into boys, right? I went to all the boys that I trust and I know has skills, both kind of skill <laughs> and fucking skill. I went to each of them saying, I've got this friend coming in. Yeah. She needs a good fucking. You be good to her or else. Yeah. <laughs> She'll pick who she wants, but just know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Auntie Midori's watching. <laughs> yeah. And there was like one occasion where I, I like one of the guys came up. I made the introduction and, and I walk away and I'm like. Yeah. <laughs> Given the eye. Yeah. She, she's side eyeing really yeah. well. That side eye is solid. I love it. I love it. So you're not a very shy introvert. Yeah. It's funny, you know, it's like when I have a job or if it's like helping others. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Was was the pandemic in that sense really nourishing for you? You know, I know it was very hard for my highly social extroverted friend. But having alone time and quiet and getting to be in conversation with myself yeah, it was like having my own Walden Pond, and I have never, in my entire life, been able to sit through and be with all the ups and downs and the phases of emotions. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to, okay, you know, just sweep that feeling under the rug, suck it up, go forth. You know, the show must go on. Uh, you know, don't let that bother you. You know, don't be sad. You know, be tough, whatever, right? Uh, especially as a, an entrepreneur. Um, I didn't have to. I, If I was sad, I could see myself through the whole sadness. Mm-hmm. If I was silly, elated, I could see myself through the whole phase. And I realized that I've, never been in that long of I mean I like being with myself but you know just like having to go to work having to be dealing with TSA or whatever yeah Yeah. after all of that touring for 20 years you were kind of forced to just pause I mean not that you weren't doing anything but yeah to just sit with yourself I I mean we're all forced to do that in a certain way Um, because others were also in this stasis and expectations were out the window that I was quiet and not interacting did not alarm other people. Yeah. 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 I found that I was amazed that productivity for me had plugged the holes to the extent that it, so it was like the productivity element kind of um, just really coming down a notch, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it was like the dam broke. I was like, oh, mm. all the shadow stuff that hasn't yeah. been dealt with, it's time. It made, it, it made me really realize what, uh, when all of it's stripped away, what is a performance or a facade and, um, and how much that was ruling our lives. I I am finding myself wondering how do I balance because I do I do adore my work I do adore my friends how do I balance the the work that I need to do out in the world and with people with still maintaining that productive creative time of sometimes of 
doing nothing. Yeah. And to have different expectations of myself. And I know that, you know, I, I am, I'm a workaholic because I love my work. And it's so easy for me to like, I mean, I'll tell you, this is like, you know, I've got a to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just so easy to, oh, here's an interesting project. Um, and how to remember that part where I got to have my own Walden pond. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, we keep kind of tying in things about kids, but I have found that allowing my kid to have some boredom, because mm. I think that there's this, like this, we're all wrapped up in this culture. That's like really fast. You're doing a lot of things. And, um, I feel like I always have to kind of fill the void for her. And then when I allow her to have some boredom is when she gets the most resourceful, creative. And so it's like this reflection, uh, even in my own childhood of like, oh, I had some like entire summers yeah. where I didn't have, I didn't go to camp. Like that wasn't how I grew up. And th those are times that are almost the most vivid in my memories. And we don't necessarily like allow ourselves in our adulthood and it sounds like this space clearing that this room to breathe really brought a lot of things you know to life and to the surface and so I'm sort of curious like where does it go next for you like what is this creative journey I know that you're so doing good. a lot of like applications for residencies but what do you see when you vision forward what do you see mm, okay so, well, my, uh, before the pandemic, my, my, uh, art practice was suffering and it was very asymmetrical in that, uh, mm. I think of my teaching work and, uh, my art as two sides of the same coin mm. and the coin is about creativity. Yeah. So in my teaching, sure. I'm teaching about sex and kink, but I'm really just teaching creativity, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really yeah. what it is. Um, right. And if I'm focusing on that, but not feeding my own expression of it, I'm helping other people to be creative, but I'm not being creative, so asymmetrical. If I'm doing all the art, but not exploring ideas and sharing with other people, my creativity is going to wither too. So I have to have the balance. Looking forward, well, I'm working on my next book, uh, um, my next book on bondage. And it's going to be quite different. Great. Um, there'll be some knots in it, but there's plenty of really good books with the knots. Yeah. But it's how to play. Mm, that's great. Right. Bondage. And yeah. And yeah. how to play with rope. Um, I also address the issue of cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I also address the issue of let's not be so rigid about topping and bottoming and the potential. Mm. But, so there's a lot of uh, psychology uh, and all that good stuff. So I'm working on that book and it's, I don't know how long it's going to be. I mean, I keep, I keep changing and rearranging. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a delightful headache to have. There's that. Um, I want to create larger work in the art side and I also want to go back to during Fort FM and and uh so larger scope deeper influence larger in both size as well as impact amazing 
And the, so you you kind of delineated the difference between the art of teaching and your artwork. Do you see a difference between kink and art for you? Is it one and the same? It's not always. Yeah. It's not always. Um, sometimes people will see my personal play bondage and talk about, oh, you know, it's, I love your, I love. I love your art. And I'm like, which part do you mean? Oh, your rope scenes. I mean, that's not art. That's mm. play. Okay. I'm glad you think it's artful. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, do I borrow um, into my artwork? I can be inspired by my discoveries in kink. Mm. My discoveries about how do I reconcile my monstrosity within myself or my vulnerability? Because if I'm playing with kink, if I'm not ruthlessly honest to myself, that's just kind of meh, right? right? So if I'm going to really get into hot play, I have to really challenge myself. And the things that I discover in that can inspire the work over here. Now, my aesthetic sense that comes that shows up in my artwork might influence the kick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what's interesting, though, is that even if your intent that you put into your play is this is my play and the impact for somebody is that they're experiencing, you know, all of your essential being, which is performative, inherently creative, aesthetically pleasing, and they receive that as art. Mm-hmm. It is so, in- it becomes sort of meta where yeah. like it is all intertwined, whether your intent is for it to be or not. Yep. I yeah. think maybe the little bit of irritation I have around that is that the the people who um, appreciate my, my kink teaching, a lot of them don't know my artwork. Right, 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 right. right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. Look at this stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, on that tip, I really, because whenever I see your art pieces, I am just, wow, the scale of them is incredible. So where do people find your art? Yeah. So my art and teaching, I finally merged it under one umbrella. Easiest is to go under planetmidori.com. So there you can find my teaching stuff. And I'm also doing individual coaching. Right now, while I'm not doing in-person classes, I can work with folks around things that they might not be sharing with others. Mm-hmm. Then there's the artwork site, and I'm uh, redesigning my art, art site so Probably about a month from the date of this recording, there should be a awesome new site. And then there's my Patreon. And that's where there's really lovely community. Uh, mm-hmm. The live office hours are great. Yesterday, the question that one of uh, the attendees, and it's like 20 people of smart people, how would a uh, allosexual person describe sexual arousal to an asexual person in a way that is physiologically relatable. Hmm. And what I'm dying to know what you said. I, I was like, okay. <laughs> I, I'm dying to know about this. So I opened it up to the room and we tossed it back and forth. I mean, how exciting was it to have that conversation? Yeah. And there was a, a kinky therapist in the room. We came, we talked about how so many of the symptoms of sexual arousal maps onto the physical symptoms of anxiety. Hmm. Mm-hmm. The context changes. Mm-hmm. Another person was able to talk about 
muscular and I guess ligament tension behind her pubic bone, creating a sense of like, oh, that's wow. very specific. Yeah. Somebody else said that, oh, my hands get hot, sweaty. Another said, oh, my hands get cold. Mm. There must be something to do with blood pressure. And it was this really interesting conversation with 20 individuals trying to describe. And I said, okay, pretend I'm like from another planet and mm -hmm. describe what's happening. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Really cool. It's so interesting because I wouldn't automatically, the first thing I wouldn't think of is tension, but tension is so involved with, with sex and, and, and so almost anything that's interesting has tension release, Yeah, you know, and it's like, it gets mm -hmm. like, I've been describing to my kids, they get really worried about movies and I'm like, don't worry. They're trying to stress you out mm -hmm. so that when the heroes are okay at the end, you'll be like, oh. And that's what it's almost like an orgasm imitation every time we see a, a movie. Yeah, there is a universal principle to this like dual nature yeah. of the orgasmic response. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose it's like a rubber band, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Rubber band or muscles, muscles that are just kept precious and never used, atrophy. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. same with sexuality. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I wanted to leave folks with uh, you giving a rundown, like what is your elevator pitch for kink? However, I feel like you already gave it to us because your definition of BDSM as uh, childhood playfulness, but with the, you know, adult context and lens and cool gear. So I'm going to switch it a little bit because I feel like this conversation has gone even deeper than that. So if you are making an elevator pitch for someone, you know, first step in terms of getting to know themselves, mm -hmm. their whole self, mm -hmm. dark side, yeah, the, the side. shadow, this uh, creativity, these things that maybe the culture hasn't given you permission to be or connect with, what is your, what's the first step someone takes on this journey? Okay. That's well, a big one. I know. Sorry. <laughs> but, uh, and there's a lot of different directions. What comes off the top of my mind for now, yes, please, is take a look at classic and modern fairy tales. Wow. And who are you drawn to? Mm. And when I say modern fairy tales, Star Wars, Star Trek, Marvel, uh, uh, Bridgerton. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. So those are modern fairy tales. Yeah. And then there's Little Red Riding Hood. And then there's, um, uh, uh, let's see, Bacchus and Hera and Diana. And there's, you know, all, all sorts and, and, uh, Okay, so for example, um, Star Wars. And somebody, you know, we were talking about Star Wars because we were watching it. Okay, who do you think is cool and who would you want to be in right. that universe? And, you know, there are the Leia's and the Luke's and the Han Solo and the Wookiee. And I'm like, Jabba. <laughs> oh, Midori? That's exactly what I was fucking thinking just now. <laughs> are you kidding me? 
Are you kidding me? <laughs> me and Midori, we connected. Yeah. <laughs> Jabba rocks. I mean, you know, as a good manager. I mean, he's and- got a dope setup. <laughs> <laughs> right? And understands power. Yeah. Unapologetic about his desires. Yeah. If you can hire Boba Fett, you got it, mate. Yeah. You live in life. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my gosh. Getting to just sit with your brain for, you know, one hour is such a treat. Thank you so much, Midori. Okay, so in addition to your website, anywhere else you want people to find you? Well, mostly come by my my uh, Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Planet Midori. But just go to planetmidori.com. You'll find it in social media. Also, Planet Midori. I try to keep it simple. I'm going to fangirl on you real quick. When I was a dom in the early two, well, the first of the 10 years of the 2000s, um, you were, we were all aware of you. You were a kind of like superstar. We were like, that's Midori is the pinnacle of, of domhood. And now, and you be, you've become so much more and done so many more things. But just so you know, you were in the community, a celebrity, and we all looked up to you. And I still look up to you. Thank you so much for doing thank this. You, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for creating this platform for all the viewers. We love you. Well, that was as delightful. As I expected it to I'm be. still buzzing. Yeah. I'm still buzzing. You know, the thing that surprised me was, uh, you know, more, not that I don't know this about Midori of how thoughtful she is, uh, but I do think that this period of reflection and kind of time to be with herself and her practice through COVID, I mean, she just came to this interview really in that um, really thoughtful space. Yeah. And I think a lot of folks see her in her, I'm on, it's performing. performative. And this just shows folks how much thought and care and artistry, go, and artistry goes into like what she puts out into the world. Yeah. Because this is really how intellectual and intuitive and em- empathic that she is. Yeah. Uh, I know for you that you had a therapy moment yeah interview and I want you to I'm just curious what that was like for you like what were the things that were coming up I feel like uh for me it's literally something that I've been on and off thinking about for 20 years and trying to reconcile in my mind of how can I be serving uh men's sexual sexual fantasies and at the same time be a feminist and the truth is what she brought up that I never thought about in 20 years was that the reason that that person stigmatized me was because it was sex related. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, if I was a maid or any other job, that uh, it wouldn't have occurred to her probably. Also, the very first thing she said is that's about her. Yes. That's not about you. I have to remember that. And it's so, I mean, I know that we have talked about trying to pass this on to our kids to that information of like, you know, you're not, not everyone's going to be your people. And this, this is not, you know, you can't take things personally. Like you're going to not like people too or whatever, but that um, just really simple lesson of someone's reaction 
to you yeah. is none of your damn business right? because it's actually all about their stuff. That's so true. And she instantly, which I didn't instantly. think of, was like, was she a second waiver? Of course. And I'm like, yes, she was. Yes. And so it's also the context yeah. of, you know, that person's journey where their feminism, what, what their feminism meant to them and that that doesn't have to be your brand of it. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, it made me think about how when I was a dom at that time, it broke down a lot of the ideas around like what a older white guy is. Like when you have mm -hmm. a 50, 60 year old white man coming in and you're 20 and they are crying at your feet, begging you for a little bit of attention and your job is to not give it to them. But it's like this thing of where I realized in that moment that all of these men, I had broken down the stereotypes in my mind, like that they're not as powerful as they seem. But I never did that for this um, second wave feminist that was she she held a high space in my mind. Yeah. And that she knew what her. she was talking about. I respected yeah. her and all this stuff. Still respect her. I understand why yeah. she would say something like that, especially now that Midori pointed it out to me. But I did think it was about me because it was, she was an authority in my mind. And now I feel like a weight that I didn't know I was carrying has been lifted off of me. And um, thank you, Midori. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Oh, well... That is why we are doing this. Yes. All right. Uh, I have a pro tip. We talked a little bit about uh, how w one of the times that I interacted with Midori was during a blowjob yes. class and how that was one of my uh, mainstays pre-pandemic. Um, so I thought I would just give a little uh, blowjob cock tip. Oh, curveball. I was totally expecting something kinky. Awesome. I'm so excited. I, well, yes. It's kinky, depending on how you feel about it. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, fair enough. Um, one thing that I would like to impart about cocks is that they are highly manipulatable. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the reason for this is I like to think of cocks almost like a balloon that you can move the air around. A little bit. Okay. But rather than air being in the balloon, it's um, skin with blood in it. Sounds real gross. <laughs> but basically, you can, to an extent, be able to manipulate that. And so you can make um, cocks harder um, or even softer, maybe sometimes, depending on what you're doing. Um, of course, this depends a lot on blood flow and, and all sorts of things going on in the body. But um, I have found that uh, if you squeeze around the very base of the cock or around behind the balls and at the face of the cock. So can you do this at the base of just the shaft or you have to go underneath the balls up against the base like where the cock meets the body. You can do both. Okay, great. So if you're just for different effects. Shaft, and by the way, please handle cocks a little more roughly. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sure some of you know about this, but a lot of people, especially uh, vulva owners, do not realize that cocks are pretty rough and tumble. Balls, not so much. Very sensitive. But cocks, like when you have a vulva, you kind of have a certain level of genteelness. But um, cocks are not necessarily that way. You can squeeze them very hard. 
In fact, I one time saw, I had a, I saw a class with Reed Mahalko about hand sex. And he said in this class, you, it's impossible to squeeze a cock too hard. You can squeeze it as hard as you can and it won't be too hard. And I was like, wow, that sounds like bullshit. So I went home and, and I tested said, it. I, had, I said, Max, um, this is what this guy said. And, um, and Max was like, well, let's try it out. So, <laughs> that's your max voice <laughs> so um i was like all right say when it's too hard now i'm talking about a cock that is hard um i'm sure you can probably squeeze a flaccid cock too hard um and i'm also uh not talking about digging your nails or your fingers into mm -hmm, it just like mm -hmm. a grip around and yeah, then start firm, firm grip. well right. there's just not that many nerve endings in the shaft so yeah. it just makes sense yeah that you can kind of with the blood roughen them up yeah, it, yeah, it's like, so I squeezed as hard as I could. And he was like, uh, he was telling me, you can go harder. And I was like, that's as hard as I can go. And it changed. He still taught, he still has a phrase that he says almost every time we have sex where he's like, I love the way you grab my cock. Aww. And it's because I get a grip on that bitch. Yeah. All right. So anyway, when you are going for it, you can give a nice tight squeeze and then to you the can suck and really pull blood in mm. and then you trap it you can even release a little bit duck pull blood in trap it with your squeeze now if you're putting under the balls it's kind of like you're making a c with your hand yeah like usually in class i'll say it's it's the cock hold c is for cock c is for cock sorry <laughs> we have kids so um anyway you get under there and you can put pressure on the perineum at the uh -huh. same time that you're doing this blood right behind thing. the balls some right people balls. know it as the taint the taint yes and so um and the other thing that this does is that it pushes the balls forward so if you're doing uh -huh. a deep throat type of thing or you're trying to look like you're doing deep mm -hmm. throat push those balls forward yeah. Get them in the game. It'll make their cock appear like it's going deeper <sighs> because they're used to seeing those balls way in the back. Anyway, that is my pro tip. Thank Treat you. cocks like balloons. Inflate them. Let it out. They get more sensitive yeah. the more inflated they are. And so all of a sudden, they may be like, especially if you're using a blowjob as a kind of foreplay type of thing, and they're not fully hard when you start interacting with them use these tips and they'll be like wow my cock it's so hard for you and you'll be like yeah that's right baby that's right <laughs> it's because i'm magical i put a spell on you that's what i tell max all the time i put a spell on you and that's why and i did anyway there you go thank pro you tip. for that pro tip i love it that was great thank you all for tuning in you can find us at fuck yeah pod anywhere that you want to find us and we are really hoping that you will rate review subscribe so that you know we can keep doing this really fun podcast keep the conversation going let us yeah. know your thoughts have you ever been sucked off by midori <laughs> that's <laughs> not our please, business please, please no 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 please tell us please <laughs> please tell us because the way that she was like did i suck you off <laughs> was like this is a semi-common occurrence i mean yeah. i think that you're an elite group Thank if you. you've been Thank sucked you. off by midori Thank but yes please if you know midori has sucked you off or you have another in a class context. fabulous yes 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 i'm not course, talking about a virtual yeah um another fabulous midori story uh and want to just pour on the fangirling that we've been doing over here please we invite you to do that set us up yep bye, -bye. bye. Yeah.
knocking them out of the park. Fuck Yeah podcast is produced and hosted by me, Sarah Tom Chesson, and Robin Jennings. Theme music is produced and performed by she, her, sir. You can find out more about what we're up to at fuckyeahpod.com or reach out directly at fyeahpod at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the pod, give us a hand, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you listen, and make sure to share it with a few friends. Thanks so much for tuning in.